July 10th, 2017. And we are not alone. No, we're not. This 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 whole thing makes me very uncomfortable. I'm well out of my comfort zone right now. Uh, we'd like to welcome to the show Eric, Hello. who is tonight our resident Spider-Man expert. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, why 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 are we t- talking to a Spider-Man ex- expert tonight? <laughs> well, as it would have it, there was a new Spider-Man movie that just came out. Oh shit! Were we supposed to see that movie? <laughs> <laughs> nah, I saw the movie. Oh, good. Then we won't <laughs> I was spoil say, Greg, anything. Greg, you need to do your homework. <laughs> Great. Um, so yeah. uh, we're really happy to have Eric here tonight. Uh, Eric, would you just maybe take a few minutes and you know tell us about who you are, what you're into, etc. Sure. Yeah. Um, I uh, am a podcaster as well. So there's that. And I used to have a YouTube series about Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> I was reading through all of Spider-Man from the beginning, but I kind of ended that after uh, got a girlfriend that turned into a wife. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, couldn't keep that going. But you can find those on YouTube. I pretty much reviewed the first 30 years of spider-man so uh, yeah <laughs> so how would how would people how would people find that if they wanted to find it we can post it in is, the show notes then yeah but it's spider-man review comic reviews yeah spider-man comic reviews and Easy. i believe my name is just my name on youtube uh eric Deribio. so if you see that name pop up also i have a website about it too but it's yeah um so i obviously am a big marvel fan you know i've i've been into all the movies and tv shows and i've dabbled in comics and that that kind of stuff but uh yeah so i i know a lot about spider-man i've been dabbling in that world since i was a little kid and everything so well if you've read through and and reviewed the first 30 years of Spider-Man, I would say you've done a a hair more than dabble. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, uh, how, like, so how, how long, when did you start that? I mean, I remember listening to it back in the day a little bit, but like, what got you into comics and particularly what about Spider-Man? Well, I actually got into comics a little late in the game, uh, for most of my childhood and, like in high school, I didn't really uh, read any comics at all. But uh, the first comic book I actually got into, I think, was Watchmen because I heard the movie was coming out or they were making a movie about it. And I was like, oh, perfect time to get into that. So I did. And obviously I loved it. But uh, yeah. So then I just decided to get into Spider-Man because he was my favorite superhero I had grew up on the cartoon series in the nineties. So, uh, yeah, I just, you know, my, my introduction to Spider-Man comic books is, you know, 10 years ago, maybe something like that. So, uh, you know, not since I was a kid as far as comics go. Right. And what about Spider? Like, why is Spider-Man your favorite? Like, I mean, he's a lot of people's favorites. He's probably Marvel's most successful character. 
I mean, maybe the X-Men are more successful as a whole, but I'd say Spider-Man probably beats him out. So what do you think for you personally, why is he has such appeal and then why is that the same for everybody else? Or do you think he has a broad appeal for a separate reason? Uh, I've, I'm sure that my reasoning is probably similar to most people's. Well, maybe. I, I think initially I was drawn to just his superpowers because they're awesome and he has webs and he swings around and stuff. But as I grew older, I kind of got into more of his sense of duty and his uh, uh, his devotion to his superhero dumb, if you will. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, he he is so like I think he just has this great everyman quality that a lot of superheroes don't have. Most of them are just way larger than life and, you know, in their personal life and in their costume. But as far as Spider-Man, he's, he's just a kid and he's just like a little outcast nerd. And when he puts on the costume, allows him to kind of step outside himself and do things that he wouldn't necessarily be comfortable doing as his alter ego. And so it's the suit that gives him this confidence that he doesn't get in his normal life. And, uh, Hmm. yeah. And, you know, he just has so much determination and willpower, like, far exceeding in my opinion uh most other superheroes like he just doesn't stop until the job is done and i don't know i guess technically all superheroes kind of have to do that you know otherwise the comic kind of stinks but yeah yeah i mean that makes sense to me i think the one thing that's i find interesting about spider-man is that you know, there's been some ups, there's been some downs, you know, <laughs> Clone Saga, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but more or less, he stayed a really consistent character. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, there was the black suit, but he didn't really have, like, a, like, not consistent necessarily like, quality-wise, but sort of consistent in, like, tone and theme. Um, yeah. I mean, things get a little wild in the 90s, but... I think, like, when you compare him to someone like Batman, who has, like, these very distinct phases of, like, kind of wacky Batman and, like, dark and brooding (laughs) Batman. And then, you know, all these different things were, like, there's never really, like, a really dark and brooding Spider-Man, right? Like, it's kind of always (laughs) Spider-Man. Well, there was was rain, although that's probably a... uh, That doesn't take place on Earth-616, I think. I think that was the only time they really tried to go dark and brooding with uh, with Spider-Man and uh, not not terribly well-received as these things go. Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with that one arcs at times that got a little dark but yeah for the most part it stayed pretty light so andrew i'm gonna since you said you're not familiar with rain uh i'm gonna spoil it for you just to end it i think this i'm gonna get give you one sentence uh that's gonna tell you everything you need to know about this um so it's a it takes place in a future where we have an aging peter parker and uh mary jane is dead because she died slowly of radiation poisoning, which she got from his spider semen. 
Yeah, okay, now that I know, I, I wasn't sure what it was called. I was familiar with, I've seen those panels. Uh, yeah, that one's pretty pretty messed up. But, like, that was, like, a, a weird offshoot, right? But Sure, like, yeah, no, that was a, that was a, their attempt at a kind of a Dark Knight Returns <laughs> type storyline. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that, you know, he has been consistent, but I think one of the interesting things about Spider-Man is that the character of Peter Parker has gone through at least two very distinct life stages. He started out as a high schooler with a lot of the stories taking place in high school or was it college? I can't remember the, those early, but he was a, he was a, he was a student essentially. And now the, and now the current Peter Parker is more of a, um, you know, he's in his thirties essentially. Um, and he's, you know, unlike a lot of other comic characters where it's like, you know, the X-Men have always been in just kind of a vague adulthood, um, you know, or like no one ha- has really gone through that transition. So you have kind of these two versions of Peter Parker. And I think that's that's that is something unique about him. But, you know, the, the personality has really stayed the same. Like you say, he hasn't gone super grim dark ever. Yeah, for sure. Um, he, he was only really in high school for maybe two or three years at the beginning. And then they moved him on to college. Mm hmm. But it's yeah, interesting so- that he's had high school as one of his main, I don't know, icons, <laughs> like, for his character. I think that's partially because, like, I mean, even in the show, you know, the animated show that I think a lot of people in our mm-hmm. generation think of when they think of Spider-Man helped get them into Spider-Man and comics in general. And Greg Glass, because we were exchanging funny pictures from, funny frames from that show before the show. Uh, <laughs> but I think that even in that, he wasn't, he wasn't in high school. He was in college, I believe. Yeah, he was. And but I think that you know when they when Ultimate Spider-Man came out, I mean, for a lot of people, that's their Spider-Man. Mm. Uh, I mean, a lot of you know, people who got into comics around that time, and it's still regarded as one of the best parts of the Marvel universe. I think uh, eventually leading to Miles Morales and all that. But um, you know, so I think that for some reason, I don't know why it has stuck in people's minds. It's an interesting idea. Man, I got to tell you, you guys are talking about the Spider-Man animated series that exposed you to Spider-Man. And for me, (laughs) that was the second Spider-Man animated series because I got into Spider-Man with the original uh, Spider-Man animated series that, I mean, it was was definitely in reruns when I was a kid. I'm not that old. the you know the the with the original dun da da dun da da theme song um and uh, to add weirdly to how, how our little stories about how long we've been into Spider-Man I have distinct memories of when I was a, a kid and this was when we were still living in Delaware so this had to be like pre 1993 uh so we're talking about and also this is also probably pre 1990 um my mom actually singing me the Spider-Man theme song as a lullaby because apparently that was all I wanted to hear. <laughs> so uh, my uh, my mother, bless her heart, sang that to me to put me to sleep as a child. So that's adorable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, I guess we'll ask everybody like who who's your I think so. One thing that Spider-Man's like, I think people talk about a lot is his rogues gallery, and even though it's a little goofy, I think that it's something that sticks out in like people's minds. So like, who are your guys' favorite? Uh, villains. Well, for me, I actually have a bit of a, I don't know if he's a lesser known villain per se, but he's definitely not as popular as a lot of the main ones. My favorite is the Jackal, um, particularly how he was introduced. 
because it was kind of a slow burn over a year or two until they really got into his arc and he would just pop up in random epi- like random issues and be trying to kill Spider-Man and then he would go away and then he would come back a couple issues later and try to do it again with but he would just send other people like his introduction was the same issue that introduced the Punisher like as a character um and yeah his storyline ends up being that he is a teacher from uh peter's college and he was in love with gwen stacy which was one of his students and uh then he blames spider-man for gwen's death and then he brings her back via cloning and (laughs) Uh, so he tries to mess with Peter and then, uh, eventually he clones Peter Parker and then pits him against himself to the death. (laughs) And neither of them are sure, like, which one is the real one. And it, there's a lot of comic book logic and goofiness in that storyline, but for some reason it just, it worked at least when I was reading it, I don't know. There's something the original cool about clone it. saga. Yeah, it, it was right before the clone saga and everything. So, <laughs> unfortunately, it led into that. But yeah. So this would have been mid '90s that this story arc's happening. Actually, this was the '70s, like late '70s, and this. I guess I shouldn't say it led into the clone saga. It, it was the kind of predecessor or the, ah, gotcha. you know, what caused it eventually. There was some reference or something that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I remember you talking about that in your videos back when I watched them. Uh, how about you, Greg? Uh, see, this is tough because part of me wants to go with Craven because that's such a mm. cool, tight story. But and also part of me wants to go to to go with Venom because if you'd ask 90s Greg who his favorite Spider-Man villain <laughs> was, he would have just screamed Venom in your face until <laughs> until you called the cops. Um, but I think that I have to go with uh, Dr. Octopus because I think there's something so kind of like there's this kind of poetic duality to like they're both sciencey people. Mm. Um, but Dr. Dr. Octopus is, he's old, he's flabby, he's, um, you know, he's, he's alone, whereas Peter Parker is young and he's attractive and he's got a, a hot girlfriend and, um, you know, he got his powers by an accident of science and, you know, Dr. Octopus basically designed his powers from the ground up and there's this, there's just this kind of, like dark mirror image of, of, of each other. And you can kind of like, you can write a lot of pathos into those stories where, you know, you know, Dr. Octopus might look at Peter Parker and, and, you know, what might have been. And then, you know, Peter Parker can look at Dr. Octopus and see like, why yikes, I don't want to turn into that like weird, old, creepy, obsessive, um, you know, kind of the, the dark mad scientist. So I just, I think they're a great pairing. And I mean, I think that, um, I mean, Dr. Otto Octavius. What a, what a comic book-ass name that is. So good. <laughs> I would say that that's definitely his arch nemesis, for sure. 
you put him over Green Goblin as arch nemesis, you think? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, I'm not sure who my favorite is. I think like, I, there's a lot of me that, even though the, you know, good guy transforming into a bad guy thing is sort of trite sometimes, you know, with the lizard and Kurt Connor. Like, I always really liked when he was around in the, uh, in the TV show. Uh, I thought that they did a good job of having, like, an unequivocally good guy. Usually, like, it's like those things are like, oh, they kind of have a dark side or they're kind of a secret or whatever. But, like, he's just, like a really good guy who just, like, sometimes turns into a giant lizard monster. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's like, all right, like, I don't know, something about it just really, maybe it's just the iteration on that show. I don't, can't say he ever stood out in the comics a particularly, a particularly large amount. But, um, you know, and it's sometimes it's hard to not say Venom just because literal, like, duality of, you know, <laughs> once again, just like it, as a kid, I think that, like, Venom's like a bully. Mm. That's, who, that's who Eddie Brock is. He's a bully. So to see, you know, that's why like the Spider-Man 3 Venom is so dumb because he's not supposed to be a slinking, stealthy guy. He's supposed to be a meat, a meat shield. And like, I just, uh, it's always good to see the, the little guy beat up the bully. <laughs> Says the dude who's like seven feet tall. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm still a little guy on the inside. <laughs> Uh, what about like uh, like what are like some of your favorite like story arcs or like even either side characters that you know I didn't even know were Spider Man characters sometimes or so many I think so many important characters for the Marvel universe like kind of came from Spider Man or or heavily in, interacted with him like early on they like, said Punisher and like I think mm-hmm. was Blade another one who came from Spider Man I don't think he came from Spider Man no, Spider Man but. So I'm wrong on that, but you know, there's been a, a couple of them. Like, you know, he's, he interacted a lot with the Fantastic Four very early on, and, and then like Daredevil mm-hmm. eventually. So it's like, what are uh, you know, I don't know, what else? Um, well, there was one side character named Gene DeWolf who was like a police captain who kind of helped him out for a while, <laughs> and her story arc uh kind of goes a little bit tragic. Uh, she has the death of Gene DeWolf storyline that spans like four issues and it pairs spider-man with daredevil and basically gene DeWolf is killed in her sleep and it's somebody called the sin eater who's uh like he killed her with a shotgun and then he kills a judge that is presiding over the case and then uh so Spider-Man and Daredevil have to hunt him down and uh, he turns out to be one of the cops who was investigating the case and, and something like that. But that was a really, really good storyline. And actually, that's the uh, event that eventually leads to Venom because he was a reporter huh. on the case. But, huh. Interesting. Yeah, he actually was like forced by his publisher to go with the story of like uh somebody they caught that they thought was a sin eater but it turned out to not be that guy so then eddie brock was fired for you know putting the wrong story out there and his life kind of went down the tubes and so that's where that came from but um Aside from that, yeah, I mean, uh, I love George Stacy. He's another police captain that helps out Spider-Man every once in a while. 
obviously he also died because <laughs> that's how it goes in the Spider-Man world. If uh, Spider-Man is buddies with you, eventually you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And uh, Flash Thompson actually has a pretty cool arc as well because he goes from being the typical bully in high school to they kind of become friends, but he's still a bully. And then he goes off to Vietnam and comes back a completely different guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be best friends with you. <laughs> and then they're like friends for the rest of the series. Eventually becomes Venom. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Isn't he like Space Venom now? Space <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he becomes a, a version of Venom. <laughs> Although I feel like he shouldn't be called Venom considering he's... Venom is the merge of the symbiote and Eddie Brock, but yeah, they call him like Agent Venom. I think is what yeah. they refer to him as. I've heard it's a good, a good story actually. Um, I think he's on Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know. It gets crazy, but uh, comic stuff. Um, so, like, what? I mean, so is Eric? Would you say that like six one six Peter Parker is your favorite iteration of of Peter Parker, or is somebody else you know in a film or? TV show or something else like stand out more to you uh, or different guess, comic universe? Technically, yes, I would be inclined to say 616 is, you know, my bread and butter, but I am drawn to Spider-Man Noir. Uh, that if only because of how creative it was, because they put him in like the 1930s and he gets bit by a cursed spider instead of a radioactive one and gains the powers that way. (laughs) And then he wears like an aviator costume and uh, all the villains are reimagined for that time period. And uh, Doc Ock has like a wheelchair and he has these arms that come out and do things and stuff. I don't know. Just all the villains are really cool. And there were two fours issue arcs that they did and then they stopped making the comics but the character has showed up in other mediums like cartoon series and video games and uh even the card game marvel legendary they have him in there how about you greg 616 yikes i i mean i i feel suddenly out of my depth because (laughs) my my uh you know my my pool of spider-man references is is definitely shallow by comparison I, I haven't read the comics with any seriousness since you know kind of the you know i was really into spider-man as a kid and then you know heading into like you know middle school i kind of uh i wanted more like spider-man was like ah oh, it's too like bright and happy and for kids i want to read preacher <laughs> so like i read preacher and watchman and all that stuff and then i i Got back into Spider-Man a little bit around the time that um, uh, Moreland and Ezekiel were introduced. Mm. That that storyline, and then uh, fell off the wagon again. So um, I don't have nearly as deep of a pool to to pull from. But um, without spoiling the second half of the episode, I would say that there is a very recent interpretation of the character <laughs> who might be my favorite. <laughs> all right well that's good that's good uh for me i mean i like i said i'm always i'm always a special place in my heart for that um 
you know, the animated series in the late 90s. But, I mean, obviously the Super Sentai Spider-Man is probably the best iteration <laughs> because Spider-Man well, has mean, to have his Zord. Of course. <laughs> the emissary of hell himself. I mean, what else would we... Yeah. <laughs> I, I figured that was off the table because it was so obvious. <laughs> um, you know, and... I think that there's a lot of things wrong with the with the Raimi movies, and, and we'll transition into that. But I, there's a lot to like about that interpretation as well, up to mm-hmm. a certain point. Um, so along those lines, you know, what what do you guys think? Uh, what do you guys think of the previous two film interpretations? I'll, I'll, I'll go first because my review of. Um the Andrew Garfield movies is very, very short. I tried to watch The Amazing Spider-Man on a plane, and I couldn't make it through the first 20 minutes. I fell asleep because <laughs> I could not watch that kid get bit by a spider again. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> um, I mean, and of the of the Raimi movies, um, there's a good movie and a half in there. Oh, only a movie and a half. Interesting. But unsurprising, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Eric? Well, I actually just rewatched the first two Raimi movies and The Amazing Spider-Man today because I had the day off, so why not? (laughs) (laughs) Getting into it. Yeah. Um, I would say the first two Raimi movies hold a lot of nostalgia for me, so it's hard to separate the actually good from what I just like. (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i think there's a lot of good in the raimi movies um i mean they didn't quite get the tone right but um i think in general they they did a lot of faithful adaptation in the very first movie there's a lot of stuff straight from the comics or at least very close um but in general like i think he did a decent job. And then with Spider-Man three, uh, the first 30 minutes are a (laughs) solid movie. Like you watch the first 30 minutes and turn it off and it's like, all right, you know, that was pretty good. I can just imagine the rest of the movie, (laughs) but, uh, after that it falls apart kind of, but, um, yeah, the, the amazing Spider-Man movie, when it first came out, I, remember being like oh wow this is great i like this but it has not aged with me very well um after watching it today it's i would say as bad as spider-man 3 uh it might have some better parts to it but overall it's just not not good (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even bother with amazing spider-man 2 because when I watched that in the theater, I hated it. So there wasn't yeah. any point in revisiting that one. I am. Um, I, I agree. I think there's a lot to like from, like I said, even in Spider-Man three from the Raimi films, I think that there was some good things in there. Like, I think that one thing that Raimi did pretty well were the villains. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that the green goblin in the first movie was a pretty compelling interpretation, even if the suit looks like it's out of power Rangers. Yeah. But, um, but as far as like the character, like, I mean, was it Willem Dafoe? Like, I mean, like mm-hmm. played it well and like had the right connection that I always visited of like that really weird, like somewhat fatherly relationship, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, but like dad, dad kind of, and just like, I think it's just like the transition worked really well. And, um, 
just some good performances there. And, and once again, Doc Ock in the second one, I think they picked a really good actor and mm-hmm. just it was a really good storyline there. And even Sandman in the third one, I actually liked. I think yeah. that if they just would have made it a Sandman movie without an ending. I mean, well, like James Franco as as Harry Osborn, like it wasn't as bad as whatever they did in Spider-Man 2 with that <laughs> storyline. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But like then throwing in Venom and just the whole black suit was just not not good. So uh, and like you said, I, I kind of had the same reaction when Amazing Spider-Man first came out. I was like, OK, this seems all right. I like it. You know, it has some problems. Uh, but then just the second, I didn't watch the second one. I saw a couple of reasons. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Not a lot of people watch the second one. I think that the, the Raimi movies, looking back on them, there's a certain similarity between them and the Tim Burton Batman movies Mm. in that like, and they were kind of some of the early experiments in like making these superhero, making these comic book movies. And I feel like they both decided like, I'm going to really, really lean into the absurdity and the, like just the bigness of all of this. And I'm not going to try to make it gritty and grounded. Like, and the fact that like, if you look at the performances, you know, Willem Dafoe is a good example in those Spider-Man movies, like that he is so over the top, but it works and it's perfect. And, and, and Molina as Dr. Octopus, like another, like it's so like dr- melodramatic and big and almost like operatic in this like absurd scope, but it really works because, you know, all these big themes about responsibility and heroism and power, like they work well in that kind of like, it's almost like it's on the same scale as Lord of the Rings in that kind of like just how big the they are. And I think that was and I think that, you know, he kind of ran into some problems there, especially in the third one, when you try to ground it and make it more about like Peter's emotions and his mm-hmm. conflict with his dark side. And how do you make that big and operatic and, and huge? And it ends up being like a weird dance number and a <laughs> new haircut, like a Hitler haircut. Like it's just a weird, a weird thing. But I mean. I do think that looking back on them, especially having modern Marvel movies to compare them to, like it's easy to see like what a bold choice Raimi was really making there um, in kind of taking the tone he did. Um, So I actually think they've aged well, even if I wouldn't say they're necessarily the best interpretation, but like as a statement, as like a big idea, like pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that like looking back at some of the things I didn't like about the Raimi movies when they came out, um, Especially compared to what was around at the time. I mean, I think when you compare something like the three movies to the, the X-Men movies, like, I think they age much better. Yeah. Gr- granted, I haven't watched them all recently. Um, you know, but the little things that I was mad because I was a you know, high school nerd and I was like, he doesn't have web shooters. <laughs> like, so mad. <laughs> but, you know, looking back, it's like that was probably a smart choice because it's just like it's just one extra thing to have to sort of explain and like, mm-hmm. you know, focus on. And I mean, uh, it, it just as a more adult person now I can go back and go, okay, that's probably wise. Um, as, as compared to, as compared to, you know, the new one where, you know, that's, it was, it was more, it was easier to do because of the context. Right. And because of what was came before it. So, um, so along those lines, so I think we'll take a little break for news here in a second, but before we do that second half of the episode, we're going to discuss homecoming. We all saw it this weekend. Uh, but I think before we do that, we should lay out for us, what are the sort of the core elements of what Spider-Man as a character and as a movie or story should, should be for you guys? Well, for me, I think what works best with Spider-Man is 
smaller stakes and uh, kind of dealing with personal issues in response to like what he has to deal with as far as the villain. And so instead of trying to save the world, he's like, I just want to do some good here. And I see this guy is doing bad things. So I'm going to take him down and do what I have to. And, you know, he has to kind of find his determination and everything. If you'd ask me this question on Friday, um, I would have said that it's got to be, you know, that the, the themes of like power and responsibility had to be big parts of, um, of a Spider-Man story. But um, again, spoilers for the next 15 minutes. Um, I think my mind has been changed. <laughs> um, but I think um, barring that, I think the the kind of the portrayal of Peter Parker as somebody who is competent, but also learning as he goes. And um, it's, it's unlike Batman where, you know, Batman always has, he's always three moves ahead of the villain and the readers. And he's, he, he never has to improvise his way out of something, but I feel like the best Spider-Man stories are, and I think Eric, you, you kind of alluded to this. There's always a connection between whatever Peter Parker is going through and the nature of the villain that he's fighting and that when he kind of overcomes the villain, he's overcoming some personal issue kind of as well. Um, so I think that that's a big part of it that, you know, at the Peter Parker is a incrementally better person at the end of each Spider-Man story than he was at the beginning. I feel like that's kind of a key part of the character that you don't see in a lot of other comics, mm -hmm. other characters. I, I agree with that a lot, Greg. Uh, I think one other thing I'll add, I agree with both of you, what you said. One thing I'll add that I think has been, at least in my experience with Spider-Man, is that despite being a solo hero and despite being, you know, on the front page of his comic and being the only headline, I think that he, the characters around him have to be interesting and strong because so much of what you guys described with, like, his personal life and his issues and even the villains are oftentimes in some way personally connected to him. And for him to just go against no-name Joe big strong guy of the week doesn't really even though some of those characters certainly exist you know like <laughs> rhino and things like that like insert x animal name bad guy <laughs> but Kangaroo. i think that <laughs> uh that brick wall he fights or whatever the human brick um but like that his love interest and his friends and aunt may and you know his sort of weird relationship with uh you know like the villains we talked about Kirk Connors and Doc Ock and these people that there's more than just he's a bad guy, I got to fight. And I think if it was just that, it wouldn't be as compelling for me, at least. So I think the context of the ensemble is important for me. So with those things being said, let's take a short break for some news and then we can delve into what we think. So in the midst of spider fever, we've got some other little bits of news coming out. Uh, probably the one that we will, because uh, we always have to have a corner. Some corners, it's hating on the Spider-Man uh, Sony universe. Some weeks, it's making fun of the DC universe. But this week, a little bit of throwback. It's time to harp on George R. R. Martin for doing something other than writing Winds of Goddamn Winter. <laughs> so it's been announced that HBO is making a Who Fears Death uh, TV show. This what is, is a novel I'm not super familiar with. 
Uh, it's a fantasy novel. Um, and it's apparently like really, really well respected. It was going to be a movie, but I guess they decided to uh, option it for a film. It, it's sort of a, I guess like post-apocalyptic fantasy set in like sub-Saharan Africa that deals a lot with race and gender. And it's very, very heavy stuff written by a um, African-American woman. Uh, it's apparently a really big deal that they're doing, you know, that they're going this route. And it's weird to me that George R. R. Martin is going to be the executive producer on it. Now, granted, executive producers sometimes don't do a whole lot, but it's still something. Yeah, I mean, it's, you have to figure, I mean, number one, um, so yeah, there's a connection of fantasy there, but also if this is um, a work that deals with race in a heavy, weighty way, um, bringing on this particular name is a little bit weird. Because, hey, we've got a project by an African-American woman that's important. It deals with race. Um, you know, we're elevating the work of, you know, an African-American woman. And in order to sell it to the public, we need to attach the oldest, whitest, richest dude to it to make people interested. That's a little weird. I'm hoping that that wasn't just a cynical, like, if we can attach his name to it, we pick up some Game of Thrones viewers. Because that just feels a little icky. But, um I generally think he's a he's an all right guy, and I generally think the people at HBO are all right people and are trying to do the right things uh, socially. But um, really, the thing that pisses me off the most is he is spending. I mean, he he had to the minimum he had to do for this project was to answer the phone and have a conversation. And answering a phone and having a conversation is not finishing that goddamn book. So I'm upset with him. I'm upset with you, George. You're allowed to sleep, <laughs> eat, and finish this book. End of list. Uh, yeah, I mean, so a little bit more about it. So it's um, by the author. I'm going to butcher this, and I apologize. Nnedi Okorafor. Uh, it won the World Fantasy Award. Um, and it's, uh, like I said, it wasn't going to be a feature-length film, but they've been working on it for four years. I guess she's been good friends with Martin since 2014. A little bit of a mentor, apparently. Uh, and they said the book is post-apocalyptic Sudan where the dark-skinned Okeke people live second-class citizens oppressed and routinely murdered by the lighter-skinned Nuru. Uh, the main character's mother was an Okeke woman who was raped by her newer father, who possesses a variety of magical abilities. So, also bringing George R. Martin say, to When does this start abuse. becoming fantasy? <laughs> like, is it the magical? Like, magically, okay. Because, uh, yeah. okay, so the dark-skinned people are routinely oppressed, murdered, abused by the light-skinned people. I'm like, yeah, sounds like sounds like everywhere in the world. Okay. <laughs> sounds like exactly this. Yep. Okay. Oh, magic. Got it. Okay. Now yeah, I so, uh, it should be interesting, though. I mean, I'm just, it's always good to see different projects getting greenlit out there, for me at least. So, Greg, speaking of projects <laughs> that have been in the works for a while, that's a bad segue. Uh, yeah. Dark Tower's coming out in like less than a month, dude. Yeah, I know. And um, they keep putting out trailers, and I keep thinking, hey, maybe this is the one that makes it look like a movie I, I want to see. And uh-uh. I mean, and the weird thing is, like, every trailer comes, and it's like the exact same mix of like, hey, they, that looks cool, with oh no that looks dumb it's like they just pick they have to it's like they have a quota they have to hit for the different clips i mean at any rate the gunfight scenes look really fucking cool so i'll probably end up watching it one way or another even just to see the gunplay but uh hopes are low for this eric are you familiar with the series at all are you into it at all i read like half the books 
Uh, it's been a while, so I don't remember a whole lot. So so far, the the, the trailer looks pretty good, <laughs> decent. <laughs> yeah, I know nothing, so I'm not going to see it because I guess I mean I know it, I know Greg's one a little bit that it's a sequel, but it's kind you know it's a little bit of one of those like cyclical kind of things. So uh, it's it's interesting, but it, I feel like we just like the trailers I've seen. I've been watching them too. It just seems like you said, Greg, it's actually just the same. <laughs> six Flips. scenes yeah. like we i feel like we haven't seen much of it which can be really good or really bad so uh i don't know i mean it's got cool people in it bare minimum so to transition to something that actually might be kind of neat um just announced just this afternoon um so freeform which i guess is used to be called family channel whatever one of these channels yeah has been developing a squirrel girl and the new warriors series which looks like it could be really good. Uh, but they just announced some casting today, and they announced uh, the casting of Squirrel Girl. Um, her name is Milana Vaintrub, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, Which, but um, I'm sure that's not a familiar name. But remember those AT&T commercials with the, uh, the dark-haired girl in the blue shirt? That's her. She's the, the she's going to be Squirrel Girl. Um, she's actually been in some other, uh, some other things, um, notably the – quote-unquote comedy this is us uh <laughs> that show which perhaps your uh, fiancés or wives watch uh, that's a sexist thing to say i just know that my <laughs> wife watches it um she's she's on that as well um and uh she's genuinely uh pretty funny she's been in some you know various like funnier die sketches and other things around uh around the internet um uh so uh you know i think she's got the the comedy chops and also she um is herself a came to america as a refugee i believe and uh, is very vocal uh for refugee rights and uh brings a lot of visibility to that issue so uh that's probably also a good thing giving her a high profile uh role like this yeah i'm not i mean that's cool i think casting's cool i'm just not sold on these freeform marvel shows like yeah. the cloak and dagger show look ooh, yeah, not very it, good. Oh, it looks real bad. <laughs> and I just the channel doesn't put out anything good. So I just uh, I mean I know it's an, I know it's an ABC you know network and they're gonna want to cash in on it. But I just feel like with the way things are now and how it's all connected, even though it's not really like just same thing with Inhumans. It's like if you do this and do it bad, that's it for a long time, right? Like I mean maybe, but I was kind of hoping we could we could. <laughs> We could get through get through enough episodes without talking about the Inhumans, but I guess we've said enough. Uh, yeah, um, we'll see how that turns out. But uh. so the last bit of news that I just thought is wacky but interesting is there is um, as part of a recent bill, uh, there's discussions or. Uh, I guess it's part of the budget bill for the upcoming year is to start the United States, United States Space Corps, a sixth branch of the military. I mean, I guess I guess it's good that we are forming a new branch of the military for space purposes, because generally it's the military that goes places first and colonizes them. So I guess um, us being America, I think the the. The truth is the real way that we are going to get ourselves to Mars is if we uh, send a bunch of soldiers there first to shoot things. And then, um, and then you know, we'll want to establish some commissaries and such to support those soldiers. And then eventually we'll have a Mars colony without any of this uh, pesky namby-pamby science stuff. <laughs> you mean it's going to be like just like Starfleet though, right? 
no, 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 no. I know. No, I'm, I'm saying that's more not, like aliens, as opposed to what you're saying. You're thinking more like aliens? Yeah, space marines. Yeah, <laughs> starship troopers is more what, what yeah. comes to mind for me. Yeah. Uh, so apparently it's going to be, it would be under the Air Force, just as the Marines are under the Navy. Uh, but it would be its own sixth branch of the military and would have its own seat at the Joint Chief of Staffs and the whole nine yards. It's got bipartisan support from a couple of senators. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I feel like we're getting to the point now where there's enough stuff going on in space with different countries and... I know there's all these treaties around space and combat and weaponry in space, but I mean, you know, I it just takes a little. Elon Musk is up there, man. He might just be like, you know what, I'm taking over. Could happen. Yeah, I mean, we I, we all love to talk about Elon Musk like he's going to save the world, but you all realize he's a, he's he is one announcement away from being a literal Bond villain, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. From any sort of supervillain, for sure. So uh, I kind of have my doubts. Got- <laughs> He's got a weird, like, unplaceable accent that, you know, I mean, he's going to hold the moon for ransom. You know that's the next step in his plan. Or, like, destroy it to mine it for resources in order to get to Mars. Yeah, all those Teslas are turning into death robots any minute now. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but it's interesting <laughs> that it's... I mean, I'm not sure that the, the United Space, the United States Space Corp is going to happen, but... Uh, it's interesting that it's on the table that we're talking about that, that we're actually in the discussion that like we could have battleships in space in the future Look, that we I, pay I, for. Honestly, it's, it's very cynical of me to say, but like if this is what it takes for us to develop better space exploration technology and priorities, then I guess this is what we have to do. Like you said, it's the American way. <laughs> yeah. Well, the military has produced a lot of just run of the mill electric, you know, like equipment and stuff like that, like walkie talkies and all sorts of things. So I don't know. They, they might be developing good space technology just because they get the most funding. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's, 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 that's where I'm coming from. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the, the reason we have cameras in our phones now is because of lens technology that was developed for spy satellites for military purposes. And, you know, it used to be that the space program was the incubator for all of our sweet technology back home. But if it has to be that the military becomes the incubator for our space technology to become <laughs> the incubator <laughs> for the technology we have back here at home, I guess it's fine. Whatever. An extra step, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention the Internet was basically a military invention. So. Uh, you know, usually they are on the forefront of technology for, for better or for worse. So we'll see what comes of that. But shall we get back to the meat of the episode? The review? <laughs> sure. <Ugh>. Meat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Spider-Man Homecoming, this joint venture from Marvel Studios and Sony. Eric, you're the guest. What'd you think? I loved it. I thought it was my favorite Marvel movie and my favorite Spider-Man movie. Um, I don't really have too many problems with it. It just works all around. Obviously, I'll have to see it again to solidify my opinion, but uh, they captured the tone exactly right. There was a perfect balance of the full spectrum of like filmmaking. You know, they had the... Uh, the comedy was on point. You had the dramatic moments. You had uh, like super suspenseful scenes. 
um, particularly one near the end. I don't know what kind of spoiler. Oh, go nuts. All right. Michael Keaton opening the door was <laughs> some of the best filmmaking I've to see. That's, that was a great scene. Um, that and the whole ride up to home, the prom or homecoming, whatever it is, the dance. And, uh, yeah, that, that was just great. And, uh, yeah, I think they, they did a good job adapting vulture into a villain because in the comics, he's pretty goofy all the time. <laughs> There's not <laughs> any point in the comics where he's like, Oh yeah, I like this guy. He's a good villain. He's he always has that green suit with the ruffle of feathers. And he's just like an old frail guy who likes to be able to fly pretty much. <laughs> but it's nice that they adapted him into something a little more believable and something more compelling. And um, yeah, I, I just thought all around it was, it was just very well done. And it's, it's exactly what I wanted from a Spider-Man movie even if I didn't know this was what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was, I was a little bit concerned, especially in the weeks leading up to it, where they were talking about this kind of retconning, where there's a scene in Iron Man two, where there's a kid who stands up to <laughs> a robot in a mask you know, and they say, Oh, that's Peter Parker. And I was like, ah, oh, I had this Iron Man connection. I don't know about like, I'm, I kind of had this, feeling like he should be motivated by like his own sense of responsibility and heroism, not just because he wants to be like Iron Man. And I, 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 I came into the movie with that hanging over my head. Um, but that's not the way they went with it. it. It, it worked out so well that you see that like, he really wants to be a hero and that's why he wants to be on the Avengers is because he wants to be a hero like all the other heroes. And it's not that he wants to be like Iron Man. He wants to be like Tony Stark. He just wants to be a hero. And I think that's a, that's kind of a pure expression of that, you know, that responsibility that he has. And I think just very pleased with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really, really liked it. I have some qualms. I won't go as far as Eric is to say it's my favorite Marvel movie. Although I have probably different tastes than some people, but um, you know, I, I really like, I think I'm, I'm trying to think of my favorite Marvel movie probably is it's probably civil war, which is, you know, maybe a weird choice for some people, but I just really like that movie. Um, maybe, maybe the first Avengers. I just, that's also really good. But anyway, so it is my favorite Spider-Man movie. I'll agree with you that, um, some of my qualms, I agree to everything you said, Eric, I think that scene with the, that, that series of events when he opens the door and you just have no idea what's going on. And then the car ride, uh, I want to talk about that a little more, but oh, man. Um, so good. it's just really good. So some of my qualms, my biggest qualm about the movie is I agree that they made Vulture into an interesting, compelling villain, especially because my memory of the Vulture is like, at least in the show, he would like, he's trying to steal people's youth or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Like, I don't know if he's like that in the comics too, but Sometimes. I think, I think it was like one of those good things where like taking a character that's like a classic character, but doesn't really make any sense and just reimagining them in a way that's not really tied to their origin or who they are, but still makes some sense. Like I didn't even put together the connection that like, he's a salvage guy. He's like a vault, like he's a vulture. I'm like, Oh, I never mm -hmm. even put that together. I just I thought it was like a clever way to have a kind of working class, even though that's not really seems to be the case, uh, guy, uh, there, but my problems with him, and I thought Michael Keaton did a good job, but his motivations were vague. Because it starts off like, in the beginning of the movie, it makes a lot of sense. They set up this whole, you know, like, 
got this company and they salvage and they're trying, you know, they kind of get the rug pulled out from under them. And uh, mostly because Tony Stark and the U.S. government are collaborating and, uh, you know, our typical corporatist world at work. Right. But he's an okay guy. Right. And he just starts kind of doing stuff on the side under the radar, selling the best and bad people. Okay. I can kind of forgive that a little bit, but the way that I think that they could have done it was it should have gone a breaking bad route a little bit and been, Mm -hmm. you know, this guy who kind of starts off with his motivation. keeps saying, I need to take care of my family. I need to take care of my family. All right, dude, like, you live in outside New York City. That house is luxurious. <laughs> Drive a really nice car. You know, and, and I think they could have played that out, like, over the years. He's sort of, like, gotten consumed by it and pulled a Walter, Wright, Walter White and said he was doing it for his family, but kind of really ended up just being kind of a greedy guy. Um, so, for me, I just sort of felt like his evilness kind of came in waves and, like, not in a way that was, like, oh, he's sympathetic or complex. It was sort of just, like, I'm just not really sure if I'm supposed to hate this guy or, like, kind of understand this guy. And at the end, too, with his whole, like, you know, he clearly is, doesn't mind killing people at all. <laughs> Blows that guy up and with his, the laser by accident was like, oh, okay, whatever. I mean, granted, he was, like, a crummy henchman, but uh, – or was he a goon? He was a goon. He was a he? goon. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, On his way to being a henchman because a henchman, like, would you know, when – the shocker, he has special powers. But yeah. that guy was really a goon. And then, you know – the next guy became the actual henchman. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and just that, I don't know. I, I, there's something about there that I just didn't, didn't fit for me completely. So I'm with you part of the way. I, I mean, I really like that you really had a, a villain who's the hero of his own story and he exists out independent of Spider-Man. Like he's just doing his thing. Um, and, you know, trying to make his way in this new world that's been set up by the, battle of new york but i do think you're right that like i kind of wish that you know when he and peter were having their kind of showdown if you know and he's kind of you know giving his villain monologue about you know oh this is the way the world is and you know etc etc class warfare um if peter had challenged him and said like you know like you you talk a big game about you know doing things for the little guy but i've seen your house i've seen your car you know all this money you're making you seem to just be using it on yourself what are you doing that's good for the world like i feel like that probably could have solved that problem for you and and for me too now that you pointed it out mm-hmm. but i mean i'm a little disappointed that at no point did somebody make a birdman joke about <laughs> michael keaton I really feel like that was a missed opportunity all around. But he, I, I think he was great. I mean, I think that this movie gave him so many opportunities to just act like, to just use his face. Like, the acting he does in that scene in the car where you can tell he's figuring it out and the camera's just tight on his face. And he does such excellent work of showing you what's going on in the character's mind with just with his facial expressions. And... At no point does the movie need to beat you over the head with, he's figuring it out. He's putting the pieces together. Uh, Like some kind of like internal monologue or something where you, you know, or like music cues. It's just you're sitting there and you're watching his face. The only little cue they give you, and somebody pointed this out to me, like the minute he gets it, you see the reflection of the the traffic light turn green in his face. (laughs) It's like a little light bulb going off. But like, it was so subtle. So good. So good. Michael Keaton. Uh, uh, So good in this. I love that scene. I mean, and the reason I love it is, A, because it's awesomely filmed, but also just because 
kind of no one in this movie is an idiot, and that's really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Like, he just figures it out, because he should figure it out. It's obvious. It's like, well, there's only so many, like, you know, you, it's like a, a, we got a Venn diagram of situations here, <laughs> and it's very obvious that he is at the center of them, and I'm going to figure it out because I'm not an idiot. So it's like, that was really cool, like, to have a whole other, like, to have it happen that quickly was refreshing for me for like, yeah. especially with the whole, like so much of, and I want to talk about this one more too about especially the end of the movie. So much of Spider-Man drama is around his secret identity mm-hmm. and especially keeping it from villains and the people he's closest with. And there's a lot of that in the movies, you know, in the comics, everything. But, uh, so I was happy to have that sort of pulled out, but I'm also happy to see that even though I don't completely understand the reasoning behind it about why he wouldn't tell Scorpion, who he, who he was, I guess, because he saved his life at the end of the movie or whatever. Which, also, I'll say, I'm really, really happy he did not die. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of Marvel killing every villain at the end of every movie. <laughs> I know that a lot of them, like, some of them predicate it. Like, you can't really have Ultron just like, I'll get you next time Avengers, like, running around <laughs> in the universe. But, like, Spider-Man villains in particular, like, we talked about earlier in the episode, like, they're kind of low to the ground. They're not taking over the world. So it's okay to them just go to prison and then maybe get back out someday and cause a cause a ruckus again yeah and i think that it it fits with you know peter parker's character is that he he's really going out of his way to like save people and try to be a hero and he sees someone in danger and he tries to save them Mm -hmm. and um and i think i just to go back to that that car scene a little bit i think that i think one of the things i really liked about this movie is that when the marvel movies play with genre they really really work like the you know the 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 winter soldier was kind of a like political thriller that happened to have captain america in it and um um guardians of the galaxy is kind of like you know they keep saying magnificent 7 in space and this was really like hey what if we took a teen movie and put Spider-Man in it and use all like the kind of the tropes of the teen movie, like meeting her dad and getting the talking to from her dad and just said like, yeah, but what if it's Spider-Man and the vulture? And I, I thought that they played with those genre conventions so well. And it was such a fresh kind of setting and tone and fits perfectly with the fact that like, yeah, kids in high school, like it should feel a little bit like a teen movie and have a lot of like pop songs in the, um, in the soundtrack. And, you know, there's a scene where he goes to a party. I mean, they almost, they all, I feel like they, they were thinking about doing it. Like the scene where they walk into the party and everything goes to slow-mo for a couple of seconds until he sees the girl, you know, like, <laughs> like I was, I'm glad they didn't, but you know, they were thinking about it. They were thinking about it at the end of the year, like, we should do this in slow-mo. <laughs> So I guess I wanted to ask, especially you, Eric, what do you think about the end of the movie that it seems like Aunt May is figuring out? Oh, first off, let's talk about Aunt May a little bit. <laughs> yes. So I I get it. I get that A, having a really old aunt is kind of weird, doesn't really make a lot of sense, unless it's like a great aunt or something. Mm-hmm. B, they're trying to differentiate because an old woman is kind of an old woman is kind of an old woman, which is not a nice thing to say, but like in that sort of like, oh, Peter, come home before dinner kind of way. Like, you, you can only kind of do that once, I feel like. You don't want to have that same exact character show up in three movies. So they aged her down in Amazing Spider-Man. She's maybe in her 50s or something. Uh, and in this, she's aged on even further and kind of turned into a sex object, which I'm, I feel not great about. What do you yeah. think, Eric? Uh, well... I think it works in the sense that it furthers Peter's like alienation because 
everybody is hitting on his aunt all the time and he's just like ah this is so uncomfortable for me (laughs) you know it just plays with his i don't know teenage angst or whatever you want to say yeah i can see that yeah and i think putting him in a situation that is unusual you know i think you're right the alienation i i feel like they laid it on a little thick um especially because it's kind of weird like okay so so you know he's the and he's the uh, protagonist so we're supposed to kind of you know we're supposed to put ourselves in his shoes we're supposed to see her as his aunt but then the movie keeps pointing out like hey she's pretty hot right her the aunt I mean, she's kind of your aunt in this movie, but like, you know, pretty, still pretty hot, right? So that was a little weird. And I also feel like as a joke, it only works in the context of in the other movies, she's really old. So this is funny because mm-hmm. now she's not. And so to me, it's like if you're relying on me having seen the other movies to get your joke in, that's a little bit eh, – it's a little hacky. So I would have preferred if – they maybe had done 50% of the Aunt May is hot <laughs> jokes. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, agree with that. I, yeah, I, I think, honestly, they could have left it at the Civil War joke where Tony Stark mm-hmm. meets her and he's like, you know, saying she's hot. But I think that would have been enough even and maybe just leave it at that for this movie. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe even one or two more like Tony Stark com- yeah. focused even comments because just- he's a womanizer, right? Yeah. Like, so it kind of makes sense in his perspective and also makes him, Peter, feel particularly comfortable. It's like, I kind of look up to this guy and he's also, you know, a sort of pseudo father father figure. So it kind of makes sense, but also doesn't. It's gross and it's <laughs> yeah. weird and I hate it. <laughs> and it sets up and it and, and, and that little scene in Civil War sets up a like it definitely frames Peter as a kid. Right. Because now you've got these two adults and they're operating on on one level and then he's down here and he can't, you know. That's that's adult stuff, and he's a kid, and like it it sets up that age differential, and so it's very effective there. But then you're right, in this one, it's just kind of like, yeah, I mean, Marissa Tomei is a, a beautiful woman. Yeah, I mean, nobody disagrees. But why are we making this such a big deal? Even so much so that in like the end credits, when they're doing like the big, you know, everybody gets an animated title card, and even hers is like, you know, it's like the silhouette of her like standing all beautifully, and all these waiters like trying to give her stuff for free. It's like what? <laughs> Still, <laughs> we like had to do it one more time. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you guys think about her finding out that he is Spider Man at the end of the movie? How long can he keep this a secret? Yeah, I I think it just kind of makes sense because it didn't make sense in like the comics or whatever that he people close to him never find out except for the people that he chooses to tell. And so I I, I think it's okay. I I guess we'll see in the sequel or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I I had mixed feelings. I mean, I think I, I agree that like I'm like so bored of secret identity stuff because like it's been the, the focus of so many movies and so many characters. It's like, at, but at the same time, it's sort of at the crux of the superhero genre at points, particularly something like Spider-Man. I always really liked the whole like Aunt May doesn't know, but she knows, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like mm. she kind of always like you just assume that she kind of just winks and nods at it and lets him do what he thinks he needs to do. Um, but I just I'm actually just really happy we just don't deal with it anymore. Like, fine, get it out of the way. <laughs> it will make for some interesting situations i think that we haven't encountered before and that's what i was reading the filmmakers were talking about that choice and they were saying that we just want to do something different oh so it requires so much suspension of disbelief that okay they 
Like he's a teenager and he's going to disappear at all hours of the night. And, you know, she's not going to wonder where he is or, you know, he's, I mean, he, he gets cut up and bruised and beaten up a lot and she's not going to have questions about that. (laughs) And I mean, also, and I think one of the things that this movie does so well is like reminding you, like he's 15, like he can't be that good at keeping this secret. (laughs) Like the fact that like she found out cause he was just too dumb to shut his door. Like he was so enraptured with the suit and his big epic superhero mo- moment. And she just walks past. It's like, yeah, cause you're 15. You're a little incompetent even, you know, and I like that. Like that not only would it be difficult for any two people living together in a tiny queen's apartment to keep that kind of secret from each other, but also the fact that a 15 year old, you know, would be able to keep that secret is I, I think it's I like it and it 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 does now I'm interested to see like I would like to see a scene or two where he's like but May I've got to go fight the rhino and she's like you got to do your homework <laughs> like that's that is at least a scene I haven't seen before yeah no I agree um, I think what we touched on a few times that I really just want to hammer home is just how how the tone of this movie with him being young and being in high school like. They got it. They hit it. I mean, having both prior movies to use examples like, A, you're using much older actors Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't feel like high school. This felt like high school to me. Mm -hmm. People said it's like, it's kind of like watching Freaks and Geeks. And it's like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, because Martin Starr's in it. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, But, you know, it it really felt that way. Like, I felt like he was a believable 15-year-old to me in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. which is hard to pull off for a 21-year-old actor, I think. Yeah, but I think, you know, he, he he clearly still was in touch with, you know, being a teenager. He remembers it clearly, um, probably, I guess. And um, no, I think that – and even Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker and, and you know, um, he was even a little unbelievable as a high schooler. But, like, he was a – and you see this in so many TV shows and movies where you've got – they're playing a, you know, you've got a 30 something year old playing a 20 something year old, but the 20 something year old just seems like they're 30. But, you know, this really felt like, no, it feels like a 15 year old, 16 year old who's trying to do the right thing, isn't totally great at it, is unsure of himself, um, you know, gets, is indecisive, gets confused, you know? Uh, yeah, man, they nailed it. And just, I loved how uh, the kind of two, some about like sort of the action and the cinematography of that, like the direction of that sort of how clumsy and reckless he is just like bumping into stuff and just like yeah. knocking <laughs> off things, always failing with his swinging. Yeah. It's sort of like you're a kid, you're growing in your body. Right. And it's kind of the same thing, but also powering him down a little bit. Oh yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, and part of that being that like, <laughs> if there's no tall buildings, he's just running. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so good. That was so good stealing a guy's car like how many times seen spider-man like driving a car i probably never besides his you know his megazord but or the spider buggy yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know it's seriously it's just like if there's nothing to web to then you know yeah. and, and, his, and his web isn't like the most incredibly strong thing in the universe and he can't lift like whole buildings up very easily i just think it's a smart play to kind of power him down a little bit i think maybe they can grow into it now since he is young you know, he can be that sort of full strength Spider-Man we're kind of used to seeing in other other mediums. But um, and also just, you know, showing him some of his technical skills, the fact that he has web shooters and that they don't have to talk about it a lot. They don't need an explanation of like, well, it takes these little capsules. You just like you just do it. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. people who are interested are going to see it and people who aren't, aren't going to care, right? And then, and then you get to set up a little tension when he, you know, he loses the web shooter in a, in a fight and it gives you a little bit to play with there. Um, I will say I'm, I went back and forth on the suit, on the, the Tony Stark suit, because at first I was like, I, I, I like, I don't like the idea of him being dependent on Tony Stark and like he, you know, he gets all of his cool shit from Tony Stark. Um, also interestingly, is spider sense a thing in this version of Spider-Man or is that just a function of the suit now? But not that's, that's just an aside. I think the filmmakers did say that it is a thing, but they just didn't play it up as much. It's more of like an intuition. They just didn't want to like focus because it's been done in the other movies. So they were just like, ah, we'll skip that. Yeah. And it's, it's probably just tough to film. Uh, no, I went really like cheesy, like tingly screen effects and like <laughs> oh oh what's going on you know something's about to happen so but i think i've come around on the suit the more i think about it because i don't think you can have a world where you've got iron man who's building iron man armors and that he's not using that tech in other ways for the avengers right like it just seems crazy that um you know, uh, uh, he's the only people person on the team who has access to Iron Man technology. <laughs> and I think they said like, oh, Captain America's new shield is in Stark Tower. It's like, yeah, because that's the kind of stuff Tony would be building. So you, I feel like you would have to make more narrative leaps to explain why Spider-Man d- doesn't have a suit if he's on the team. You know, why why he has to make it himself. Um, so I've actually come around. I, I First, I was really down on the whole Spider-Man on the suit thing. I will say I'm a little disappointed that when Tony showed him the, you know, like the 2.0 suit mm-hmm. at the end that he didn't take, that should have been a black and white suit. Right, guys? Like, mm. come on. And then yeah. to be like, oh, shit, it's a black and white suit. And then have him walk away. That would have been a nice little a nice little tease. But nah, I yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of like I feel like it was more of a nod to like the iron spider suit oh, that he yeah, makes definitely. from during civil war. Uh, and it looked, it looked a little bit of that, you know, it wasn't full on that, but um, I'm hoping at some point we'll see him in that suit just for like a little bit for some reason, just for like a scene or two in infinity war or something. Well, but the next, he has to have a new suit for the next movie because they need to make more toys. So yeah. <laughs> maybe what do you think about the suit? Eric? Uh, I, I liked it. I mean, as far as design goes, it wasn't my favorite, but um, yeah, really? I, what didn't you like about it? I, I just, I prefer the webbing look. That's just what okay. I prefer. Um, but as far as like the the whole Tony Stark tech inside and having all the web shooter combinations and that kind of stuff, that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I personally think that they will introduce the black suit in Infinity War. That's my prediction that he'll end up on some alien world or something maybe i don't know yeah i think that makes the most sense yeah we've talked about it and there's that one set photo of him in a full cgi outfit and people are wondering Mm -hmm. if maybe that's it but being that you know and trying very desperately to maybe not talk about this this episode because we don't need to but you know since they're saying the venom's not going to be part of the and they could be like completely red herring us which i don't know maybe they are maybe they aren't but they're saying venom is not going to be a part of the mcu but will be a part of, you know, include Tom Holland, Spider-Man stuff. I don't know. But let's avoid that. I want to talk about that, though. Uh, is what about the other, like, some of the world building and, like, the characters that kind of showed up in this? I mean, I really liked that they, ref- you know, they have a like, Scorpion could be an okay villain in the next movie. I'd be okay with that. Um, his portrayal, eh, it's fine. But 
uh, the introduction of the guy who's the prowler as mm-hmm. our old our old favorite <laughs> dong lover. Yeah, I, th- I thought that scene was so good. Um, but also, mm-hmm. apparently, there's a there's a little bit of reference where he says, "I've got a nephew in that neighborhood," and apparently, in the canon, that nephew is Miles Morales. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and when he you know, talks about wanting climbing gear, you know, it's prowlers kind of thing as he climbs mm-hmm. buildings, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I the prowler. I don't know much about him. Uh, but yeah, that scene is so much like, let's make fun of Batman and also Arrow with like the intimidation <laughs> effect. And he's just like, <laughs> you got to get better at this part. <laughs> uh, I'm just excited to see Donald Glover in other roles that aren't purely comedic and something a little different. So I hope we'll see a suited up Donald Glover in a Prowler costume next movie. Oh, or maybe as Lando Calrissian and, uh, in the Han Solo movie. That too. <laughs> of course, then you'd have to go see the Han Solo movie. So I mean, we're going to see it, but I know uh, you're basically obligated at this point. <sighs> Just take my money. Just take my money, Disney. And the biggest thing I think a lot of people were worried about was like you said, Greg, like the Tony Stark, I don't think it was overused. I think it was the right amount for me of the connections and him being there and, but not really taking away from the movie in any major way, at least for me. Yeah. I yeah. I think he showed up. I think there was a little too much, uh, deus ex machina going on, um, mm. a couple times, weirdly, uh, weirdly accurate uh, term there. But, um, and there was one kind of silly plot hole that somebody pointed out that um, so it was so Peter's texting them about like, oh, there's this arms deal going down on the on the ferry. And so Tony calls the FBI, but doesn't bother to tell Peter, don't worry about it. I called the FBI. <laughs> don't go on the ferry. Don't I know you want to, but don't go on that ferry because I called the FBI and it might turn into a gunfight. Like that's a very easy text for Tony to send. Or to have Happy send for him, but he doesn't, and then they have to have a screaming match about it. That's why I called the FBI. <laughs> well, really? Really? This kid who you knew has been pestering you all freaking year about being a hero, and now he's got a chance, and you're like, that's fine. He won't do anything. And that just felt like, that seemed like a dumb move for Tony Stark, who's usually two steps ahead of everybody else, and it felt like a plot hole to me. Did he know that he was, that was happening on the ferry that day? I thought that he had already sort of decided to go off on his own at that point. I'm I'm not sure of the exact details, but like essentially it felt like, you know, he alerted yeah. Tony to it. And then Tony very could, easily could have texted back. I've got this. I've contacted the FBI. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah. No matter the circumstances yeah. for sure. Uh, okay. So I think we can all agree that we really liked it. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, good. That's good. I was, you know, hope, you know, I love, I love Greg's, you know, stuff for last in case he had any like big bombshells and make people <laughs> mad or sad. But no, uh, I, this is my, this is, this is, I, I agree with Eric. This is my favorite Marvel mo- movie right now. Wow. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I guess next question is, uh, what did the sequels and his subsequent appearances have to sort of do to like maintain this quality and like what direction should we go in? I say just keep doing what you're doing. This is mm-hmm. <laughs> struck gold, man. <laughs> yeah, I think you just got to keep the train rolling. All right, all right. And uh, so I guess to end, we usually end recommendations, but I will we'll do that, but we'll also do something before then. Eric, I know that you have thought about this a lot. You're an aspiring filmmaker. <laughs> Am I right in saying that? Mm-hmm, yep. So what would your pitch for 
I mean, I know it's hard coming off of a movie you really enjoyed and you said it was near perfect, mm-hmm. but if you were to do something different or have your own pitch for a Spider-Man movie or trilogy, what would it be? Well, it's going to sound a little weird after you describe that rain storyline. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might start off here like, ah, I don't know about that, but just stay with me. <laughs> uh, we start with Peter Parker in his 30s. He's been doing this for, you know, ever since he was in high school. So we're well into his story already. And this is like, this would be like the first movie in the trilogy or what have you. And he's already married to Mary Jane and he's currently dealing with balancing adult life and his Spider-Man activity. And maybe bring back or bring back in quotes, a villain that he's fought before, but obviously we haven't seen him fight it before, you know, like say the molten man shows up and he's like, Oh, this guy again, or something, you know, like he's got this rogues gallery that keeps popping up and he's just like, all right, you know, I have to keep fighting these guys. Uh, As far as villain, I would say molten man is probably a good place to start because he's not super well known, but he's a great, villain or at least he looks cool so um <laughs> yeah I, I would also say hey you know what while we're at it just do the jackal storyline you know clones <laughs> uh, you're going clones yeah might well, come off do, a little goofy <laughs> but you could do you could do um you've got an older peter parker and then you could have a younger clone right oh like the yeah. clone is the clone is 15 um you know the clone was made just as you know, uh, Peter Parker was starting his career and then that clone's been incubating and now you've got a young versus old, you know, um, experience versus youth. Eh, he has to mentor you could himself. Do something there. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of clones, uh, another one of my favorite villains that I would love to bring back or bring onto the screen would be carry on. So if we're doing the Jackal, we got to do carry on. And Carrion is a a clone of the jackal that he he did of himself, but he accidentally let it cook a little too long, <laughs> so so now he has like this weird death touch thing where anything he touches just instantly dies, and uh, he's kind of has like a ghostly look to him and tattered clothes, and he can fly around and stuff. Uh, pretty cool, but obviously it would, I, I feel like this storyline with him being in his thirties, it might end up being a little bit like, a have like a 1980s movie feel like something like the Terminator kind of look and feel, I don't know. It <laughs> might come off like that, but, um, yeah, I, I think that would be the way to go is age him up because when it was announced that homecoming was going to be in high school again, and I was like, really anti high school Peter Parker. But then obviously I saw it and I was like, okay, well you did it right. And so I'm on board with it now. Um, but we've seen the high school now, so I think it would be a good time to show like a different time period in his life. Interesting. I like it. So your idea about being, having it in the eighties and Terminator style and that the whole eighties retro thing is really in right now. So, but you're kind of, your thought process being that like, 
okay, if it's, you know, 15 years since he debuted, you know, it's like actually like a period like set in the 80s. Like he's been fighting crime since the 60s, like when he initially <laughs> debuted or something. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of cool. I'd be I, down for that. I would kind of like to see that. I would like to see a uh, um, a modern take on 60s Spider-Man, but not in like a can't be Austin Powers kind of way, but like... <laughs> You know, it would be a good way to point out, like, hey, things were kind of fucked up in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess I guess First Class kind of did that already, but uh, yeah, uh, not so well, though. Um, there is one thing I forgot, and I want to talk about it before we move on to finishing the episode and recommendations. Uh, so the whole Michelle character being MJ, uh, although, according to what I was reading today, not Mary Jane, not intended to be, but... I, I love the reversal. I love that she's kind of weirdly obsessed with him and it's not the other way around. Like that, that's a great surprise. And I like the idea that maybe his love interest is going to be another weird nerd as opposed to he's a weird nerd who's in love with the, you know, the hot Foxy cheerleader. Um, I, I, you know, I think that's a, an interesting angle. Yeah. When she revealed herself or like when she said, Oh, uh, people call me NJ. <laughs> uh, I was I was not into that because just because she's not at all the same character as Mary Jane. I mean, I was fine with her as a character, you know, and even as a love interest, like whatever you want to do. But I was not on board with her being MJ, as it were. But then I also read that she was not intended to be that character. She was just, it was just like a little reference or joke or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Base a question though, because I, I have, mis- I have really mixed feelings because my first reaction was sort of what yours was, Eric. And then my second reaction was sort of what yours was, Greg, where I was like, well, I like the role of her, So I like to do something different, but I sort of, you know, kind of take the middle path. It's like, I just, just make her a different character. Then like, don't have it be a reference. Don't have it be replacement. Just, just say we're not doing a Mary yeah. Jane. And this is just his new love interest, fine. As opposed to, like, kind of replacing her. Because, well, I do like the whole, like, he's not going after the, you know, the beautiful bombshell cheerleader model actress. To sort of echo what we talked about with, you know, the sexy Aunt May. Like, her being so out of his league is also something that sort of, like, I've always thought was, like, a part of his character. Like, not that it's like, oh, see, the nerd can get the girl, too. Not, Not so much that, but more just, like it makes him feel uncomfortable and awkward. And maybe there's a little bit of like icky stuff there potentially. Cause you know, it's, it's an old storyline. I'm not really sure, but I just sort of always thought that, and, and, and some things I've seen with, with Mary Jane at least is that sometimes she is sort of like into him when he just like, doesn't even really know what's going on and doesn't even really think about her as like a love interest, almost like pursues him in a different sort of way. It's kind of at least I remember from what your reviews, Eric, that she sort of like, mm-hmm comes up out of the blue and sort of comes after him, which mm-hmm. was a little different, but he's, I'm not really sure how I feel, but a wild, like ladies man in the comics, like all the, <laughs> all the women are, have thought bubbles that are like, Oh man, that Peter Parker, he's so awesome. and so hot. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you doing? Stanley? <laughs> Come on. Well, that, is it, isn't it, that isn't wish it weird though how like, yeah, yeah. But like, isn't it weird how like that was what it was? But we all have in our head this image of Peter Parker as like the nerd who you know can't get any girls kind of thing. Like I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I really liked her character, and um, it's certainly not one of those like she doesn't look like her, so it's not okay. But it's just like yeah. I just like either 
If you don't want to do here, fine. Like, just, I don't know, just like the weird sort of mixing of roles and characters seems weird to me, but, nah. So, recommendations? Eric? Well, uh, I will recommend what I've already talked about, the Death of Gene DeWolf story arc with um, the Sin Eater. Uh, that was pretty great. And Spider-Man Noir, it's eight issues. You can get through it pretty easily, but it's just a lot of fun seeing how they reimagine everything in that universe. Um, and I also recommend a video game, the uh, Shattered Dimensions. That was a lot of fun because you get Ultimate Spider-Man in the black suit. You get the normal 616 Spider-Man. You get a Spider-Man Noir and the Spider-Man in the future, 2099. And you kind of jump back and forth between the four of them and play in their respective worlds. And it's just a lot of fun and a lot of different types of gameplay and everything. So I would definitely I forgot about that, that game. Uh, it seems like, I mean, hopefully the new Spider-Man game, which we talked about mm. a couple episodes ago is, is also really awesome because it looks really awesome. So yeah, looks really good. Um, uh, Greg, you have any recommendations? I, I mean, go see this movie again. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that if you're listening to this, you saw the movie cause we basically <laughs> spoiled all the good parts, but, uh, go see it again. I, I, this is just, um, this is really, really, uh, uh, a good two hours of filmmaking. Yeah. And I mean, my, my recommendation is I haven't read all of it. I've read most of it. Um, to give something a little, you know, on the more modern side of like what's going on in Spider-Man today. Um, Spider-Verse is pretty wacky. I've only read a little bit of it, but basically it's some storyline that involves bringing in all the Spider-Man from all the multiverses, including like the sen Super Sentai Spider-Man <laughs> and Spider-Ham and, you know, everything. Uh, and then I'd also recommend another more modern, more recent storyline. Um, I'll also give an answer recommendation, but the Superior Spider-Man, which is a storyline where Doc Ock takes over Peter Parker's body. So to echo... Greg's, you know, talks about why he's such a good villain earlier. He, I forget the exact comic book mechanics of how it happens, but essentially he's in the driver's seat and Peter Parker is just like in the subconscious and basically a dead for a good long while. And he is still being a hero, but kind of in a very different way. Hmm. Uh, and then also kind of comes to terms with what, why, like who Peter Parker, like he's basically learning who, like kind of how we get the, it's a reversal of, Whenever a new villain is introduced, you sort of learn their backstory. And if they're a good villain, they're probably sympathetic or something like that. It's sort of the other way around. It's the role reversal of him learning about why Peter Parker does what he does, mm. which is kind of cool. Um, my entry recommendation is stay away from anything having to do with brand new fucking day. Because screw that. Screw that. For those unfamiliar, it's a storyline where post-Civil War, because Spider-Man gave his identity to the world... Uh, they needed to reset because apparently that was just too far outside the comfort box. And the spotlight is that Aunt May is dying, even though she's been 80 for 50 years. <laughs> and in order to save her life, uh, Peter Parker makes a deal with the devil to wipe out the world's knowledge that who, of who Spider-Man is, but also make uh, Mary Jane have no idea who he is. Or I guess maybe who he is, but they're not married anymore, don't have a relationship, all that kind of stuff. It's just like the most obvious like comic book, we're going to hit a reset button and like, <laughs> oh God, I hate it. Well, all right. So I think we got to call it a night. 
Yep. But uh, Eric, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and um, we'll make sure we, we link to all your stuff in the show notes. And um, I hope you guys have a good week. Yep. Yeah. All right. See you.